One headline I'll quote goes like this. Here it is. Fear of clowns is suddenly sweeping the world. Have you all seen this? This is not a joke up here. A 14-year-old teen in Columbus, Ohio, reports that a clown chased him down the street while he was waiting for the bus in the wee hours of the dark morning before school. Uh, Two South Carolina towns, Greenville, Spartanburg, reports that a clown or a group of clowns, quote, are trying to lure children into the woods. 30 children in these areas have reported seeing these clowns to authorities. Authorities have now issued watches and warnings to help uh, child safety in those towns. Uh, They're saying that the clowns are stalking and luring children by laser pointers and money and candy. In response to the South Carolina clown reports, William Adder tweets, I was running out of reasons not to go camping with friends, so thank you, creepy clowns in the woods. The UK is also reporting creepy clown sightings in the town of Northampton. There's a scary clown that goes around at night spooking all the locals. In the recent clown craze, the Heat Street reports, quote, more than ever, Bart Simpson is looking like a prophet. In one episode of The Simpsons, and it was on their their front page, Bart is trying to sleep, but he can't. He's wide-eyed awake. He's wide-eyed awake in his clown-shaped bed. And he whispers into the dark, can't sleep, clowns will eat me, right? Our passage today says, creepy clowns might not eat you, but the certainties of self certainly will. We all come in here with so much certainty about who Jesus is and what he's about, um, And those certainties can hurt us. And so we're starting a series on the Jesus I never knew, in one sense to gain uh, a rediscovery, certainly, of old truths, but also to push on into new truths, but also to counteract the certainties of Jesus that we have in our heads and our hearts that are hurting us. There are some, there's some of one here, there are folks here that are checking out Christianity, and I'm going to be honest with you. The church has given you certainties about Jesus that are not true. And it has hurt you, and might have even prevented you from coming to church. So I want to invite you, as I invite all of us, that we're going to go on a discovery in the Gospels, and we're going to look at Jesus, and we're going to look at his encounters with people, and we're going to look at what he says and teaches, and we're going to marvel at his teaching, and we're going to look at how he heals, we're going to look at his parables, we're going to look at his stories, and we're going to rediscover a Jesus perhaps, possibly, certainly, we never knew. Please stand for the hearing of God's word. Our scripture reading this morning is Luke 2, 41 through 52. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. 
But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances, and when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished, and his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. His mother treasured up all these things in her heart, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Oh God, we ask that you would shine on the page. We ask that you would show up. And we ask this because this is where you do. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Okay, so today we begin a new series on the Jesus I Never Knew series. Here's what you can expect. When you come here, here's what you can expect. You can expect close encounters with Jesus. But here's the catch. With the Bible. Not apart from the Bible, but with the Bible. If you were to take a survey, I would, I would, in churches today, I would gather that most people would say they are starving or searching or looking or wanting to experience Jesus. And I want you to know that the Scriptures say yes. And the way that that happens is with the Bible, in the Bible. And what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at particular passages. And when we look at particular passages in the gospel, we're going to look at different aspects and different angles of Jesus' person and his work. And he shines on the page in a specific sliver of splendor that reaches your heart. Or a specific ray of radiance that reaches your heart. And so every passage as we did our scripture series, as Jesus taught the scriptures, he showed that all scripture is ultimately about him. And so every passage leads to him. Every passage has a particular angle or aspect of who he is and what he's done. And it's all designed to actually give you more beauty, more power, more good news, more blessing, and more grace. And so that's what we're going to do. So Jesus, you can expect... How should we respond to this? Here's how I think we should respond. I think there should be an incredible expectancy to experience and encounter Jesus when we come in here on Sunday mornings. Now, I know we come from many different backgrounds, and you're going to come sometimes where you're just barely going to get here. You're going to crawl. But the expectancy is real. We should expect God to show up. We should expect Jesus to encounter us. We should expect him to do so with and in the scriptures because this is where he does it. 
So let's do that this fall. Let's have that expectancy. Let's ask God to give us that expectancy to come in expecting even when we're mean, to expect even when we're despairing, to expect even when we're striving, to expect even when we're lost and confused, to expect even when we feel great to encounter Jesus with his word in the morning. Okay? All right, so Luke 2, 41 through 52. This is the Jesus I Never Knew series in a fishbowl. So you want to know what the series is? We're looking at a fishbowl, and it's this passage, and we're looking at it. It's the series in summary form. It's a snapshot of what the series is all about. It's the series in microcosm, something that we can actually handle. There are spiritual dynamics going on in this passage that are dynamic in everything that we're going to look at. And so here's our plan. Our plan is to take a brief tour through the text, then look into the fishbowl and look at the spiritual dynamics that are there in summary form. And then lastly, the plan is to accept the invitation of the passage. This passage has a very clear invitation. It has a very personal invitation. It has a very powerful invitation for every one of us. It's inviting us to go somewhere. (laughs) It's inviting us to enter on a journey, and we're going to look at that at the end, okay? So do you kind of have an idea of what we're doing? All right, so let's take that quick tour through the text, shall we? Uh, there are three interesting artifacts to look at. This first one is very fascinating. This is the only account in all four Gospels that Jesus, in his youth, is recorded All the accounts of Jesus in the gospel start when he's a baby and then move to when he's an adult. No one covers his youth ministry except this passage, the only passage in all the Bible that gives you a glimpse into his youth, to what he was like as a 12-year-old. How about this? This is what I want to do. I read this and I'm like, I need to share this with my kids. And he went down with them and he came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured all that up in her heart, right? He treasured their obedience. Here's what I would say to you kids, 12-year-old teenagers. Do you know why Jesus was obedient perfectly to his parents at that age? He was for you because you're not. You're not obedient to your parents perfectly. And he's the only teenager who ever lived who was, and he was for you. How's that for a youth ministry? Okay, second thing, artifact in this passage is, this is the first time Jesus speaks in all of Luke. So whatever he says, it's got to be the point of the story, right? If this is the first time Jesus opens his mouth, that's a big deal. So whatever he says, and we're going to look at it, it's the point of the passage. Third thing, and this last artifact, I'm not sure what to do with it, quite honestly. I debated whether to do it or not. When Jesus' parents finally find him, Mary's the one that speaks, not Joseph. This is pretty radical for that day. This is definitely countercultural. 
And it's absolutely offensive to the religious moral standards of that day. I want you to look at verse 46. After three days, they found him, Jesus, in the temple, sitting among the teachers. Now jump to 48. And when his parents saw him, his mother said to him, here it comes, right, from mom, women didn't speak in the temple. Women didn't speak in the temple and a room full of male teachers in the middle of a Bible study. That just didn't happen. So do you wonder, I mean, when you read that, you hear that, don't you wonder what Jesus was thinking? Like, you know, was he thinking, man, I, maybe I need to tell my mom to knock it off. Doesn't she know where she's at right now? She's kind of chatty, but this is a little... You know, I don't think he was doing that. I don't think he thought that. You know what I think he thought? This is how I picture the event going. I think he's thinking, pity the poor soul that tries to stop her. (laughs) That's what I say, right? All right. Our story. Let's look at our story, shall we? Artifacts are done. Just need to get oriented. This is a unique kind of text. It's good to know that kind of stuff. Our story starts in a way that is difficult for you singles and young married couples without children to understand. But I want you to know that Nancy and I have been where you are. I want you to know when I was a single, I said my children will act this way, period. I want you to know that as a young married couple walking in Walmart, I turned to my wife and said, our kids will never, ever, ever act that way. I want you to know that when Nancy and I heard reports about parents leaving their children at places, that we were aghast. We were like, how could they, those poor children, right? Well, I know of two times now where the never has happened to the Hattons. (laughs) The most vivid was coming home from family karate one evening, which is about a 12-mile drive on the other side of town, and... The first car got home with my wife and the two youngest kids got home first and they were in the house and I come walking through and my two, my two youngest kids, I think the kids were like one, three, five, and seven. All I know is there were just too many of them, but we had them all in there, right? And I'm, I think it was the two youngest were Knox and Bell. When I, when I walked in, they look up at me and they smile and I'm thinking, father of the year, right? <laughs> then I look over and my wife and she looks up, she sees me, she smiles and I'm thinking, husband of the year. It's a great evening, right? And then she just kind of does one of these. She, she looks over my shoulder. And then, I, I don't know, the best way to describe it is her face twisted. It was just kind of this. And she looks over, and then her voice trembles. <laughs> and she says, where's Cal and Bryn? So our five-year-old and our seven-year-old, if you're counting. Now remember, father of the year and husband of the year is on the line. (laughs) So I say, where's who? (laughs) (laughs) Gosh! All right, and when the feast was ended and as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. That's 20 to 25 miles of walking. I want you to find verse 44. There's a phrase in here. It goes like this, but supposing him to be in the group. You know what that means? 
It means literally to suppose something mistakenly. So this is not like, oh, brain freeze, I forgot. This is like you intentionally, mistakenly suppose something to be certain that's not true. One Roman scholar, a guy named James Edwards, says, How easy for moral people, religiously observant people, even his own family, to suppose Jesus is with them. This story is a reminder that moral and religious rectitude, which means correctness and rightness, I had no idea what that meant, do not equate to fellowship with Jesus. Mary and Joseph have observed all the law requires. Do you see that? They go to Jerusalem at the feast of the Passover every year. They take their children because that's what they're supposed to do. There are two feasts they must be at. All Israel must go to Jerusalem for those feasts. They did all that the law requires, but quote, but they still left Jesus behind. Deep, deep, deep in your bones in your DNA, we are prone to leave Jesus behind. One of the ways we leave Jesus behind is we mistakenly suppose he's someplace he's not. We have this certitude, this certainty of self that says, this is where he's at, and he's not. Do you know where we do this? Man, we mistakenly think Jesus is identified with a political party. With a race. With a nation. With a a cultural tradition. With a personal preference. And when we suppose him to be there... We leave him behind because he's not. We mistakenly think Jesus is identified only with morally good people or successful achieving people or spiritually strong and victorious people or right theology. And when we do this, we leave Jesus behind. We mistakenly think Jesus is not found in weakness, in messiness, in suffering, in pain, and wherever you are, in whatever place you are right now, and when we do that, we leave Jesus behind. Luke 2, 41-52, in there we see why we're doing the Jesus I Never Knew series. Here's the reason. Even Jesus' own parents didn't get him. The closest people in the world to Jesus didn't fully get Jesus. The closest people in the world to Jesus didn't fully comprehend him, didn't fully grasp him. He wasn't clear to their minds. He wasn't all the way fully real to their hearts. In other words, there is always more of Jesus than you and I can know. And there's always the need then for a Jesus renewal to take place in your life. There's always the need to have yourself shaped and adjusted to Jesus and around Jesus, who he is and what he's done. There's always the need to be revived and and renewed in your mind and 
pushed into your heart. There's always new stuff that needs to become clearer and deeper and brighter and better to us. There's always truths we have nothing and no clue about, and there's always old truths that just lose their edge. We are in constant need of continual Jesus renewal. That is the Christian life. This here is a snapshot of the Christian life. And it is how we are to relate to Jesus in this series, and it's how you're to relate to Jesus every day of your life. We could say it this way. Jesus' parents knew Jesus and didn't know Jesus all at the same time. At one level, they knew him. At far deeper levels, they didn't. This is you. This is me. This is your marriage. This is your singleness. This is your parenting. This is the way you relate to money. This is every area of our life. When I got back from the UK in May, I told you about meeting a different kind of Anglican priest. He was my kind of Anglican priest. This dude had tat sleeves. I mean, he, he looked like a dude you could be friends with. Great guy. His name was Johnny Certain. Now remember, uh, one of the things that most impressed me or was impressed upon me, not impressed me, but this is, a, this is an old country. And we were in a country that you could fit four of them into Texas. This is a country that changed the world. This is a country where the gospel took root and went all over the world and literally turned the world upside down. This is a country that they planted churches in every village and every town to cover every geographical space in England. Churches that are a thousand years old that are absolutely beautiful and every American church parent would die for. And when they planted them in these areas, they said, you, they go up to the priest and they'd say, you're responsible for the souls in this geographical area. You're responsible to shepherd them. You're responsible to give them Jesus. You're it. When I heard that, when that priest told me that, I thought, oh, I long for that. That's what we want to do here, right? We're responsible for Waco and the 50 billion other churches that are here. Right? So when you hear that history, and then when we go there, and, I, and I, eight of us were in this group, and we go, Johnny, um, what happened to the church here in England? I mean, not only is like people abandoned the church, the church is utterly irrelevant. It's not even in the conversation. It has no voice at all in the community, and if it has any sort of voice, it's purely negative. What happened? Oh, his words are haunting. He referred to this passage, and he says it's only one simple reason what happened. We unknowingly left Jesus behind here. We've got a moral Jesus. We've got a religious Jesus. We've got a super saint Jesus. We've got a political Jesus. 
we got a lot of Jesuses, a lot of certainties about who he is, but we don't have Jesus. One scholar and student and leader and participant of spiritual renewal writes this, Revival or renewal is not a historical curiosity, but isn't it so? I don't know about you, but when I think of revivals, I think of, oh, the first great awakening, the second great awakening, the Reformation, and I go, oh, wow, those were the days, man, when God really worked. This writer says, it's not a historical curiosity. It is a consistent pattern of how the Holy Spirit works in a community to counteract the default mode of the human heart which is to leave Jesus behind. Quote, Gospel renewal, we're calling Jesus renewal, does not simply seek to convert nominal church members. It also insists that all Christians, even committed ones, need the Spirit to bring the gospel home to their hearts for deepened experiences of Christ's love and power. Luke 2, 41-52 assumes that you need spiritual renewal. It assumes that you need gospel renewal. It assumes that Jesus needs to become more clear to your mind, more real to your heart, and applied to more areas of your life. Why? Because you leave Jesus behind. It's in your DNA. It's in your bones. So what does Jesus renewal look like? You say, okay, Jeff, I want, I want to be a part of this Jesus renewal movement. What does it look like? What would it look like to see Jesus renewal in the way I communicate with my wife or my husband? Jesus renewal in the way I parent. Jesus renewal in the way I, I look at and handle and treat my singleness. Jesus renewal in the way that I interact at work and the way I actually do my work. Jesus renewal in how I think about ministry how I think about the vision and the purpose of the church. What does Jesus' renewal look like? This passage gives us two signs. Here's the first. You can know that Jesus' renewal is taking place in an individual or a group of individuals that's called a revival. So personal renewal, corporate renewal, corporate renewal is revival. A group of people getting the individual stuff together at the same time. Here's how we can know. First sign. When people are regularly asking, where is Jesus? At some point in verse 44, but supposing him to be in the group, they went on a day's journey, but then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintance. Somewhere around mile 20, 25, they began to ask. Some point in the journey, they began to ask, where's Jesus? One author who has researched and written volumes on spiritual revivals, spiritual renewals at a personal level, corporate level, says this. Revival occurs as a group, as a group, revival occurs as a group of people who, on the whole, think they already know the gospel, discover they don't. Or fully don't know it. And when that happens, they begin to embrace the gospel anew and they cross over into living faith. Oh, that's an incredible picture. I think I know the gospel, or I don't fully know the gospel. 
And all of a sudden, the Jesus I never knew comes home in a new way, and you cross over and embrace him, or he embraces you in a living faith in deeper and bigger and brighter and better ways. So regularly ask, where is Jesus in your life? Where's, where's the gospel in your meanness? We should ask that. In the right smack in the middle of you being mean, where is Jesus? What's the gospel look like here, Jeff? What does the gospel look like in your parenting? Where is Jesus in my parenting? Where is Jesus in the way I talk to people? Where is Jesus in the way I handle my money? Where is Jesus amidst overwhelming emotions? Do you see how inflamed and ignited the emotions are in this passage? I mean, what do you have? We have astonishment. Now, astonishment's not a good kind. That's not a positive word. Astonishment is utter shock. So when they see Jesus for the first time, the parents finally find him. When they see him, and it says when they see him, they were astonished. It means that they were utterly shocked. Who they thought he was, was blown up. That's my son. Who is he? That's what astonishment means. Utter disbelief. It's having your world so rocked that your mind blows up. Astonishment. Do you see the other one in here? Greatly distressed. That's a panic attack on steroids. Do you imagine? Okay, let's, let's, let's rewind. Let's go back to, where's Cal and Bryn? And after it was, I thought you had him. No, I thought you had him. Okay. And now you go to the last place that you saw him, and they're not there. Oh, yeah. That did not happen. They went for three days looking for him, looking for their boy. That's panic. That's every parent's nightmare. You have confusion after Jesus talks to them, speaks for the first time, and their parents hear the first words of Jesus. Do you know what the text says? They were confused. They didn't understand what he said. (laughs) What does it look like to ask and believe the gospel in those places Where is Jesus? Where is Jesus in your depression? Where is Jesus in your disability? Where is Jesus? Asking where is Jesus recognizes that we do leave Jesus behind, that it's our propensity, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Second sign, knowing where to find Jesus. This is absolutely breathtaking. Remember we mentioned that we were going to look at the first words of Jesus. Well, the first words of Jesus that he speaks in Luke are here. And what he says is stunning. Verse 49, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Did you see what's happening here? This is incredible. Jesus is not surprised that they came looking for him. Jesus is surprised it took so long. Jesus is surprised they didn't know where to find him. It took three days to find him. And he says to them, where else would I be? But here, 
in the focal point of the cosmos, the temple, the place where heaven and earth touch, where God intrudes and breaks in upon humanity, where God works and is on the move, where God has mercy on you, where God pardons and forgives and sacrifices and achieves offer people who leave God behind. Where else would I be, he says. I'm in my father's house. And the word literally, no one really knows the ultimate translation because it literally means I'm about everything. Where else would I be but about everything that's about my father? So that means his identity But that means what the Father's after in the temple, which is sacrificing to reach people that leave him behind. Where else would I be, he says. Jesus asks his parents, why didn't you go to the temple to find me first? When you're stuck in self-pity and you're stuck in your anger and you're stuck with a cold, faithless heart, Jesus says, Come to the temple to find me. Come to the better temple to find me. Come to my life, my death, my resurrection. Come to the focal point of the cosmos. Come where God breaks in and saves and puts back together and heals messed up people. Come there. That's where you'll find me. When you're afraid and you're lonely and you're full of guilt, Jesus says, come find me in the better temple. The good news about who I am and what I've done. When you don't know what to do, Jesus says, come find me in the better temple. When you need joy and you need power to obey when you know what you need to do and you don't have the heart to do it and you don't even have the will to do it, you don't even have the behavior to fake it. Jesus says, come to me, the better temple. You know what's fascinating? I want you to look at verse 50. This is how we end. Here, now we're into the invitation if you're keeping track. Verse 50, and they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. I am so thankful for that word. Can you imagine? (laughs) I mean, okay, he's teaching. He's in the temple, and the great teachers of all of Israel are teaching, and a 12-year-old is outshining them all. It says that as he's teaching, that people were amazed. Now, that is positive. And what that means is to be completely overwhelmed with awe and suspense and joy and pleasure, all mixed in with this crazy feeling that a hurricane just happened, but you got to see it, and you want to be in it, though it's completely outside of your control. And you just stand there amazed as it goes by the window outside your house, a tornado. That's what's happening here while he teaches. Can you imagine? He teaches, and that's what happens. And he's done, and his parents ask him, how could you do this to us? And he says, How could you not have known where I am? And then 50, and they didn't understand what he was telling them. That pretty much nails it, doesn't it? We miss it all the time. 
Jesus' renewal is a process. And it's, I'm so glad it's here because it shows us that it's a process. Sometimes it's a thunderstorm. Sometimes you get knocked out by a thunderstorm. But that's really the exception, and that rarely, rarely happens. Only the guys that write books. But for the rest of us, it's like a spring shower. A slow, steady, soaking shower of watching and listening and doing it in community and applying and failing and bumbling and learning and getting up, falling down. They didn't even get what Jesus was saying as parents. Now watch what happens next. Well, here's the invitation. I've got to tell you what the invitation is. You know what the invitation is? Keep reading. <laughs> At this point in the book, Luke is basically saying, I want you to keep reading. I want you to keep going. I want you to keep turning the page. I want you to keep listening to the words of Jesus. I want you to open your eyes and see him for yourself. Keep plugging along. Keep pushing in with the scriptures. Keep going. Verse 51, it should be translated this way. It has an and because that's a safe translation because it's an interpretive decision what you do next. But you tell me what's happening. In 50 it says, and they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. They're confused. They don't get him. And, or would it be, nevertheless, Jesus still goes down with them. It's a process. It has its fits and starts. But the invitation is to join the journey of discovering Jesus. To join the journey of building your life around Jesus. To join the journey of a Jesus renewal. Even though you're going to have fits and starts, even though you're going to get stuck and hard-hearted, and even though you're going to blow it, and even though you're going to be absolutely confused, and even though there are going to be seasons when you're outright mean, even though there are going to be times you're going to wonder you're a Christian at all, and Jesus is like, I'm still with you. I'm still walking with you. I'm still going with you. Because it's about my grace, not about what you do or don't do. In this passage, Jesus is inviting you to keep going to the temple. To keep reading. To keep learning about Jesus. And to keep going forward into Jesus' renewal. To keep being taught by him and to keep being amazed by him. Amen.